As usual, the Monty and Wolf Show is brought to you by esportsbet.io. Stay tuned this next week. Thorne and I have got a lot coming for you for the summer playoffs for League of Legends. We are going to be playing for you guys. If we win, you guys are going to win prizes or some really fun stuff that has never been seen in esports before. We will be making this announcement in the coming week or so before those summer playoffs begin. So stay tuned. Welcome to the final regular season edition of the Monty and Wolf show this year. Thank you once again to Adanian, our editor, for that beautiful introduction memorializing the fallen teams of the LCK. We are saying goodbye for this year to Fredit Brion, the Kwangdong Freaks, Nongshim Red Force, uh, and Hanwha Life. So very, very sad. I did like the Chad, the the Chad images over Fredit Brion uh, and the ending with BDD. After this last week, I'm not sure if I am going to miss Keen actually because he was extra bad. Um, yeah. Maybe maybe I'll miss Nongshim though now because they at least finished strong at the end of the at the end of the day they won their last two series they looked less pathetic than normal. Uh, they in fact took a game off T1 and DRX the previous week. So maybe this was the team that we wanted to see all along. Not sure what their problems were besides effort being completely terrible most of the time. The rest of them, Ghost, BDD, Dread, Kana, not that bad. So hey, at least we got to if, see them win a few games at the end of this At the end of this, If season. Kana can play Renekton and he can play strong side top and Ghost can just kind of farm in the bottom lane, the team works, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> at the end of the day. That's what we wanted, but it wasn't a top meta. And so Kana was just a tank and Ghost had to do things and he couldn't. And his supports were bad. And uh, and BDD, uh, rest in peace. Uh, you, you said you didn't like him. I liked BDD this year. I thought he, I thought he did his best. Okay. Was he your favorite uh, he a- player that, that you will not be seeing anymore in 2022? Yeah, maybe. I think so. Although, after watching Kana yesterday, he's up there too. It's a Renekton meta now, apparently. And uh, he was very good at it. <laughs> okay, so Nongshim Red Force... Uh, they at least finished somewhat strong, which is a good thing because this team definitely deserved to be more competitive uh, yeah. over the course of this split. It was they were probably, I would say, the biggest disappointment um, of this LCK season. I hope we actually get to see good things from them in the future. Hopefully they get a support player that can play support. Uh, and synergy. I mean, synergy and shot calling was really probably their biggest, their single biggest issue. Yeah, I, I think that that that's like the clear hole that a lot of our teams that are not doing well in the LCK had was just a lack of shot calling and, and strong support. Um, we saw Nongshim in particular had this glaring issue, but I think that was also pretty true for Hanwha Life. Like Vista was very up and down. If he wasn't playing a Mumu Kalista, he didn't look very good. Um, and the support role, I think, was incredibly important this year because it was a slow meta, um, or this season, I should say. It was a slow meta where eventually you need someone to engage, and if the tank does it alone or if there's not a good uh, setup for the tank and the support to engage, then the tank just dies alone and you lose the fight. Um, otherwise, you can't do anything and you just play passively, which was a huge problem for the Kwangdong Freaks as well, who we were also saying goodbye to. And they also had a multi-support problem, the same way Nongshim did, where they had both Moham and Hoyt 
swapping back and forth repeatedly, and neither of them really solidified their position as who was the stronger support, and they both looked middling to weak uh, throughout the season. Ah, so, uh, but they they accomplished the defeat of Faker and the ended the T1 win streak. So at least they will have that notch in their belt, right? At the end of the day, they did get to play Orin Mid. Hoyt, who was terrible uh, this season, somehow managed to be kind of okay on Seraphine. Uh, enough to beat T1. So I, I think that that is, that is the feather in their cap, if nothing else, for what was mostly a bad season. They at least did manage to beat T1 and end the insane win streak that they were on. There you go. That's going to be on Hoyt's uh, Leaguepedia page, like at the bottom. Like, little known facts about Hoyt was involved in ending T1's win streak. There you go. That was that was the one bright spot to his career. Achievement unlocked. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, though, like, I, I really, you know, credit to Kwangdong. They were creative enough to figure out some of these strategies. They really unleashed Seraphine on the LCK. They had a profound effect on the meta, really, in the bands, especially. Uh, which is more than we can really say of the other teams that didn't make playoffs. Yeah, that's true. Um, for Hanwha and Frederick Brion, they made very little impact on the meta or the LCK in general. And I, if we're going to shift gears to Frederick Brion for a second, I thought that when we were in the quirky meta at the very beginning of the season, the, considering how good Lava has been historically on the champion, um, and how slow the meta was where Frederick Brion had gotten most of their wins with basically less than a thousand gold difference um for 30 minutes and then they win a big soul fight where they had drake control they win a big elder fight win that 50 50 that was kind of their mo and how they got to playoffs in the previous season so i thought they were going to be very good i was very bullish on Frederick brion not that they were going to be like a top four team necessarily or a real um title contender but i thought they would go to playoffs again for sure and they absolutely did not uh and Henna had a pretty weak season, even considering it's a Callista meta. Um, he didn't get to play it that often and didn't show up big at all, really. He had a pretty weak season. Right. Delight is trapped in this team. I think Delight might actually be one of the players who goes somewhere else and, and does great things one day. So I think what's what's interesting to me about Fred Brian is that they almost managed to go an entire round robin without winning a match. And then at the very last game of the first round robin, that's when they defeat Nongshim Red Force. Their only wins were two two matches against Nongshim Red Force and one win against Hama Life, the only team lower than them in the standings. So overall, obviously very unimpressive. I don't think, look, I never was really as high on Lava as other people have been in the past. And, uh, I mean, Morgan was there. It is kind of a meme roster of pieces that have been discarded from other teams Sword. at the end of the day. I, I have always disliked Sword ever since Griffin put him in for Worlds. Uh, I mean, Doran wasn't good at that time either. But, you know, making that change did not actually provide a lot of benefits to Griffin. So I still partially blame him for that terrible world record. Uh, yeah, I think we, I mean, he's also just, I don't want to say washed up, but I kind of want to say washed up. Like, he's not really uh, a competitive top laner right now. He's had, like, two or three decent games this year. He hasn't played that much either, to be fair. Fred Brown has kind of somewhat randomly subbed him in, it feels like, in matches that 
are important too for their runs. And then he he wins, and they're like, "All right, that's it, you're out." It's like, what? I, I don't actually understand. It wasn't even a specific <laughs> niche pick that he was playing. It didn't really make sense. And I, I'm actually close with some of the the management and coaching staff of Fred Brion. I've asked them about this, and they're like, "We don't really want to reveal that." I'm like, "Okay, well, I I don't know. <laughs> I still I guess we're just never gonna know why you put Sword in or why you didn't." Um, but anyway, that that wasn't very critical for this season this time because he played very little. Um, but yeah, I, I think that Lava last season, in my mind, was a top four mid laner. Like his LeBlanc was incredible, his Vex was good, his Corky was good. Um, but now his Vagar was very good, obviously. But now, uh, you know, he didn't make a huge impact on Azir or the meta champions in the later part of the season. His Silas was. He didn't even really play it that much. They didn't prioritize it very highly. Um, not a great season for him. Um, and I, I don't know if Fred Brian will stay together or not. They stayed together for a very long time, this roster. So on paper, you would think the synergy should have gotten better in the um, like the teamwork and the, the mechanics that naturally come with playing professional League of Legends for a long period of time usually leads to a big growth. And sometimes you can see a team like this have a big resurgence because of all the other roster shuffles that are happening around, like Nongshim and, and Guangdong Freaks making big changes. But no, they didn't actually go to the upper echelon. They didn't make it. And uh, let's let's talk about our, our last one, Hanwha Life. <laughs> hey, they ended that... strong, man. They, they beat they also almost DRX. <laughs> yeah. They also almost went winless in the round rob the second round robin, but they, they won did it the, the last, last one. one. And, and look, <laughs> I'm not going to read into it too much because DRX literally had nothing to play for in this situation. They were locked into the sixth seed in the playoffs. I never read into teams who lose in that kind of scenario because even though they could have tied the match record with KT, they could not have actually surpassed them in terms of uh, like map differential game score. So I don't know. Like DRX also limped through the end of this season. Like they look like they've been completely solved. I think to me, if I had to glean one thing from this is that Hanwha Life played compositions that we probably will see Live Sandbox play, such as Renekton, Vi, Silas, Alista, Amumu, Draven, these kind of champions. These sound like Live Sandbox compositions, and Hanwha Life was beating DRX, which means that I have very low faith that DRX is going to beat Live Sandbox in these playoffs. Yeah, I I was saying it on the cast. I was incorrectly saying I didn't think they were going to beat KT because of KT's playstyle is also similar, but that was sure. the wrong part of the bracket. Um, it's actually the sandbox they face, and uh, the just the way this this series goes wrong for DRX on so many levels, I think is is rough. We'll talk about playoffs in a in a moment, but Hanwa they went budget this year like super hard, um, and I can respect it, sort of. Um, I mean, when you consider <laughs> why, <laughs> well, when you consider the potential for developing these players and the talent they may potentially have, like Vista has had some high highs, right? And he's he's stuck with this roster. They had Chovy obviously in the past. Um, they've had so many talented players in the past. They had Viper Lens uh, at one point, um, and I think Hanwa, as an org, decided like, okay, we spent a lot of money on Chovy last year. We went to Worlds. Um, but let's kind of, let's see what happens if we go budget and see if we could develop some players. It didn't work. Um, and this is an organization 
Hanwha, Hanwha Life, which is a subsection of Hanwha, which is a massive company in Korea, yes. um, is the life insurance part of the um, of this sect. They have. They well, they're going like, to have to pay out because Hanwha's dead, man. <laughs> this, joke, this joke has been made many a time for us, like in the uh, in the backstage area of the LCK studio. Um, how much? How much do they have to pay when they when they die before playoffs? <laughs> That's an early death, man. That's probably a lot of money. So, I uh, what I'm getting at is they they're gonna have to pay out for next year because I don't think that as a as a company like as a marketing branch of this company. I just don't see a world in which you're happy being the worst team in the LCK multiple times in a row and your brand is on that and you're like one in 17 in the LCK. Plus, um, the jokes write themselves, as we said, so probably yeah. not a, a good factor for them. Yeah, I think that it's time to spend money. Like this, this the parent company has, they're loaded. They have big money. It's time to buy <laughs> some some Korean players that are good and make a power run and make a super team. I think. Uh, I do not think this roster should stay together. I don't think this roster works well together at all. I don't think this roster is... Like, I don't think the players even look like they like each other. Like, I don't think there's, like, a family atmosphere. On Fred Brion, you could at least be like, oh, the Giga Chad's over there. Like, Fred Brion <laughs> sticks together, you know? This team is a family, right? No, over at Hanwha Life, you're like, ooh, these players are hoping they're going to find a contract somewhere else. I don't think anybody wants to be on this team. And individually, the players are not great, but they're also not... It's not like it's a team of five Hoyts or something where you're like, oh, this is hopeless. You know, I think there is a chance for these players to do something somewhere else. Um, but not on this team anymore. And I really, I hope I don't have to cast two more round robins even of this of this roster ever again. Uh, because I think they the players deserve better than this. The org deserves better than this. And uh, please just spend money and make a roster that is worthy of the LCK. Because you would be relegated a hundred percent. Challenger teams could probably beat this roster if we were not in franchising. You'd be gone. <laughs> just straight up. <laughs> wow. Uh, well. No, no love lost there for this version of Hanwha Life Esports. May they rise again next year and do much better with better players. No, so they may they swap out all of their internal organs and rise again a new body. That's the that's the hope. <laughs> Pray, praying. <laughs> all right. So now that we've covered our, our eulogies for those teams, doesn't sound like anybody is going to be missing this crop of teams and players over much. Uh, let's discuss the playoffs, because I also, at this point, am not going to be missing one of these playoff teams, which is DRX. I had such high hopes for this team. They looked like they were doing very cool things at the start of the split. They were one of the only successful Callista teams. We got to see Kingen, like, absolutely shitting on people with Orn, and uh, that was... That was really fun there for a while. That was really fun. And then in this second round, Robin, despite the fact that they still have Dom Juan Kia's number and more on that soon, uh, they managed to really perform quite poorly against the other rosters that are going to be playing in these playoffs. Yeah. Uh, they lost to... All of them. Except for Dom Juan. They lost to all Except of them. Except for Dom Juan. <laughs> Except for Dom Juan, they lost to all of them. And they will... Lose to Live Sandbox again, uh, 3-0, I expect, in that first quarterfinal match. It would be a crazy upset if DRX beats Live Sandbox there 
and would then like I can think change our minds and opinions on what it could what could happen if they go to Worlds. Like it would be just a LCK changing moment, um, but it's not going to happen. They're not going to turn lead into gold um, on this uh, this series. I don't think the matchups they have too. Like the one weak point I think for Live Sandbox, the one weak point but also somewhat strong point is they have Dove in the top lane who is never going to win it for you. But he's definitely not going to lose the lane, and he will survive under turret, so they can make plays on the bottom side. They can play around closer in the mid lane. Um, and Croco has been somewhat inconsistent, but more consistent recently on the good side of things. And uh, I think when we talk about what happens for Live Sandbox later in the playoff bracket, we can talk about Dove as a liability. But Kingen, he's not he's not the guy. <laughs> he's not the Dove killer. Kingen, he's Kingen not the Dove killer. <laughs> he's he's not there. He's not there to strangle some doves. That's very true because. When this guy isn't playing a tank, he is extremely underwhelming. And I think really the comparison that we have to make is Live Sandbox to KT Rolster, uh, because they've suddenly become really similar teams in certain ways, except KT is probably, that's not probably, is definitely more dangerous in the top side uh, with Rascal. And I think... The positive aspect of this for Live Sandbox is that the longer things have gone on, Closer has stepped up, so they're not quite as one-dimensional as they used to be. But even so, I would say Vikla is the superior mid laner because I think Vikla has shown really good versatility across like Ari, Silas, Azir, these meta picks, where like I'm not completely sold on Closer on some of these control majors, though it just feels like Live Sandbox, yes, they are very good at what they do. Uh, we saw them this last week take out T1. Now, it wasn't the most meaningful match, again, because T1 could not get first place because Genji had already beaten Fred at Breon, so it was actually impossible. But I am concerned when I see T1 continue to play Swain and Jinx and Blitzcrank, and these feel like old picks in certain ways from them. Meanwhile, Live Sandbox just completely steamrolled T1. Like they snowballed from the early game extremely effectively in this in this series, and it was not close. Yeah, and it's not the kind of game from T1 where we have seen some happy gaming, as we like to call it at the LCK from T1, where the bottom duo is playing some wild comp and win or lose, the players are laughing and high-fiving. Um yeah, we played Wukong support, haha, you know, like kind of thing. <laughs> and then in this series, like nobody's laughing when they're losing with the Swain Blitzcrank. Like nobody's laughing, nobody's smiling. The players are looking very angry. The comms seem very silent. It's one of those moments where you could tell the players are like not playing a for fun gaming moment. Uh, they are not having the, yeah, well, this match doesn't matter. We don't care. We're just going to have fun. That was a great series. I really enjoyed that. They looked very frustrated. And I think they thought the Swain pick was good. I have very different opinions about Swain than Chronicler does right now. Like, Chronicler actually thinks the pick is still strong, and we've had some discussions about this on broadcast and off broadcast, actually. Um, we did a TriCast recently, we talked about it a little bit. I think Swain doesn't really have a strong place in this meta unless your comp is so snowball-y that you're going to be on top of the enemy team all the time and the Swain's going to then get value. In, those, uh, in that comp where Faker played it, they were severely outranged, and the Swain actually ruined what was otherwise a pretty serviceable draft, I thought. And um, I think it is dated. I think it does feel very I old. Think, and I, I think maybe that, they're hiding strats, but 
I think the problem with that was not that the Swain was bad in principle, uh, especially with the crowd control bought brought by Sejuani and Wukong, and also serving as an additional frontliner for Jinx. So that theory works out. But I think you're you're right on when you say that the problem is the range of Live Sandbox. When you have Azir ult, Trundle Pillar, and Gragas ult disengage, and a Tom Kench to, to save somebody, there's just no way this Swain stays in, the, in that front line. He's just going to get pushed out. So there... I think if you took T1's composition in isolation, you could say, okay, I see the theory behind this, but it's like they weren't reacting to the picks that were coming in from Live Sandbox, and so the comp just doesn't work against Live Sandbox's comp. Yeah, I completely agree. And to a certain extent, like I was saying before, I think there's a world where maybe T1 just don't want to show what they think is strong on 12.14, and so they're kind of like, okay, let's play this comp that's, you know, serviceable it maybe doesn't work here but maybe we can pull it off doesn't matter it, it, this is an argument you can make i'm not trying to say this is what happened but maybe there's an argument for the t1 just being like hide strats don't show anything play this comp if we're lucky we win if we lose you know kespa's not gonna be investigating us for max match fixing because we didn't care about the game you know like it's a it's a <laughs> comp you can play um and like because obviously you can't just show i mean uh, I, I am joking of course to make it clear for those who don't understand sarcasm in the in the comments but um you know you do have to play to win every game that's in the rule book uh but yeah i mean if you're team one you want to just play a comp and see if it works and then move on to the next series uh sandbagging if you will as uh, monty likes to, to call it <laughs> yeah i um, mean like i said just like drx we talked about like yeah i have some concerns because they lost to something that looks a lot like what live sandbox would play um but at the same time drx probably wasn't trying their hardest to win that game and i I can't imagine T1 was trying to win, try their hardest to win this game either. However, they did look like they wanted to win versus Dom Juan Kia. So that's why I, I'm like a little reluctant here because there was nothing on the line really in that game either. Yeah. And they also had that near loss to Nongshim in the previous week, um, which the T1 players looked very, like, the coordination was very poor in that series, and Kerry looked very upset, visibly, uh, in that game. He was playing Renata and trying to, like, carry, and then we saw Zayas play Zach top, which he's been playing a lot in solo queue, so maybe it was his moment to be like, all right, well, let's hide strats by, also, I'm gonna play this weird pick that I think is kind of good, but maybe not, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna play this in playoffs, but he played Prowler's Claw at Renekton, um, in a comp where he needed to actually be a frontline and not a diving champion uh, in that game. And he also didn't get ahead on the Renekton, which you need to do to actually pull off the Prowler's Claw um, itemization. So he wasn't even ahead to where he could snowball with it or make a threat. That series was very worrying, and then they lost to Live Sandbox 2-0, and then they were like, alright, we're going to beat Dom Kia, and they come up and show up big in that series in their final match. But it was very puzzling, um, that Live Sandbox loss, and I don't want to read too much into it, but I will read into that loss, their Nongsham series, the series before that. I can't even remember which one it was, but they didn't look very clean in. I, I just feel like there's a trend of T1 being very inconsistent right now. It does worry me a little bit. Well, also, I think when we look at the Damwon Kia game, it just seemed like Liv Sandbox had a better read on T1 because if you're looking at their bands coming into this series... Like, that's when the Draven bands are coming out versus Gumiyushi. Um, that's when the Kalista bands are coming out versus Gumiyushi. And yeah, 
Kubiyashi hasn't been great on Kalista this season. Like, he hasn't been. But when you look at what happens when some of these early game AD carries are available, uh, as Damwon Kia left up, especially that Draven, uh, you can see why teams have been so concerned about Kumiyushi's Draven. I don't think it gets left up for the playoffs, but if T1 can snowball out of the bot lane, which they did in both of these games, part of that was Dom1 throwing a lead that they had in game number one and like allowing the Samira to get back into it because Dom1 wanted to fight for a useless dragon. There's literally no reason to fight for the second dragon. Remember, Dom1 had taken the first dragon, so there wasn't really a threat of stacking, and they got a lead and then they just completely giga through it at the second dragon, playing into a choke point versus Samira and Orn. So, I mean, yeah. that's a Damwon mistake. Um, but you can see that if you do give T1 advantages with some of these early game AD carries, they can accelerate the game really fast yeah. on you. And I just don't think you allow that. Because if Liv, Sand Liv Sandbox said, okay... We want to play the scaling game with you. You're not going to get these lane bullies necessarily. And even though I would argue those games never really got into the scaling state, like without T1 being able to get a hold on the game, Live Sandbox just crushed them, just yeah. smashed them. And I think that T1 are so reliant on Guma being on a prio lane carry like where he has push in the lane um, yeah be that the Callista or the, the draven and i agree that i think guma's laning has been fairly weak but i think when he has just by default the better matchup those weaknesses aren't as apparent because he just he's playing a winning lane he's not going to mess it up he's not going to overextend some team fight stuff on the draven and on the Callista has been suspect at times but usually t1 has operated all year long on getting lane prio, getting early objective control, usually on Herald, and then snowballing leads from cross map plays and avoiding those those poor fights like Dom one took. T1 won't take that. They'll push top side. They'll look for a dive somewhere else. They've been so good at that all year long. But now all teams have realized, well, if Guma's on a lane where he actually has to play safe or make some complex choices with Karia, he might do the wrong thing. We might get a 2v2 down there. We might be able to play the jungle matchup. Because owner is also not playing Poppy and Trundle as much as other junglers. Yep. So the three v three is weaker for T one, and if they just don't have that default prio for Guma, you put him on like an Aphelios, it gets really it gets really awkward for him because he can't just default win. He actually has to kind of skill it in the in the lane matchup, and he gets left out on an island by owner who makes plays elsewhere. Um, and then Faker is also not playing champions where he has a lot of roam power. Recently, he did a lot earlier in the season. So did Showmaker. Um, but it's a meta where you're kind of trying to push ma uh, mid lane prio and then finally roam, but like you're kind of on your own as Guma Karia. So when teams identified that he needs to be on these uh, pushing lanes, uh, T1 has looked weaker as a result. They haven't been able to have that same sort of snowball-y um, set of advantages that they were so successful with in spring and to the beginning of summer as well. So I think T1 look a little bit exposed right now and... Maybe we're reading a little bit too much into these uh, series that don't matter, quote-unquote, but I don't think so. I think that I can't see another way T1 plays this, and Zayas has also been... Notice that Zayas, even though he was, for most people, a, a big MVP candidate for the first round, Robin, everyone's like, this guy's the greatest, the greatest top laner we've ever seen in so long. Like, he's coming in, he's everybody's talking about him, but he's actually had quite a poor second half of the season, and in the last few weeks he hasn't. Notice no one is targeting him in the draft. No one is trying to put him down in the draft. 
And I wonder if Zayas will be able to play Renekton or Aatrox even, which he has not, if I'm not mistaken, played at all yet this season, um, to get topside prow if they don't get those carries bottom. So I think it's really easy to draft against T1. Like, oh, okay, like, we'll wait for the mid-counter pick. We can play Renekton into uh, Zayas. He might struggle there. He probably doesn't seem... He hasn't looked good on Renekton. He hasn't played Aatrox. And if we could just ban Guma, feels like a pretty easy way to approach the draft right now, unless T1 has something they're hiding which we haven't seen yet. I do wonder, too, because we've seen Zayas really go harder into these tanks, and maybe that's the only way their team is working right now, but it does seem weird when the Gwen is still strong and readily available, and Zayas is an extremely good Gwen player, that they would not be prioritizing this champion or trying to play more topside, because it's not like it isn't an option, but I have to assume that's because if... Gumayushi doesn't get a lot of support. If Gumayushi and Karia don't get a lot of support, they are just losing scrims. That's what. That's the only thing I can assoom, uh, because it, Zayas shouldn't be shoehorned into just playing tanks a lot. Yeah, it's it's very odd, and it makes me wonder if, if not, I mean, I don't know how to word this, but almost like T1 has lost their faith in his ability to play these champions because of scrim results and because of the recent results in, in play he's shown, uh, because they are just putting him on tank duty, but that means that in this meta where Pryo is so important, other teams have really strong top laners. Like, Dove, that's not him. But Doran has looked very good when he's on strong sure. side. Uh, and Rascal is insane. Um, and even, honestly, Nuggery could be could be something like if they, you know, if they end up facing off against uh, Damwon Kia, I don't think that's going to happen. We're not predicting that. But if they run into Nuggery, I think that could be also a place where Zaya struggles if... Um, if it is if Nuggery is given a Renekton or an Aatrox because he's been very good on those champions um, throughout his career uh, in you know the early parts of Dom One Gaming and stuff like that, so Zayas has to show up big time. I think in uh, in the matchup T1 is playing, regardless of who it's going to be, because it's really easy to just say no, Guma, you're not playing Draven, you're not playing Callista, and you're not going to get a Yumi lane. It's not going to happen. I just don't think that'll ever happen in any best of five T1 plays in that semifinal or potentially in the finals. So they're going to have to find another avenue. And I think it's going to have to be on the top side because Faker has also been fine in terms of his late game team fighting and also his skirmishing. But his laning has not looked as dominant as Vickla's, uh recently. And I, I would argue that Chovy is pretty significantly ahead of him. I think versus Closer, you know, that one's a little bit closer for sure. Um, and it, it also feels like a really sick matchup we could have because they're former teammates, of course, and Closer played behind Faker, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. So I, I, I think right now, for me, I'm pretty happy to predict a 3-0 for both uh, quarterfinals. Wow. So you think 3-0 KT over Dom one? Yeah, I think so. Okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll stop you there. Look, I think KT is the best team in these quarterfinals. But I don't think they're going to 3-0 Dom 1 Kia. I am not willing to go out and predict that a rookie like Vikla is going to show the same poise in a best of five that players like Kanya, Nuggery, and Showmaker. Like, I'm not, I'm not willing to do that. Um, before we talk about Dom 1, though, we should touch on KT because KT is a, is a super interesting team, especially with the results from this past week. And for me, sure, I, I'm a, I'm a, I've always been a KT fan, right? But what I will say is that uh, I think this team 
probably deserved to beat Live Sandbox when they played Live Sandbox. I think that had Rascal not kind of run it down in the mid lane at that Dragon Soul fight, that it was kind of KT's game. They certainly had all the vision control and everything that they possibly needed in order to make that work for them. Um, so I don't know. I think it's, I think this is really interesting, but I think KT still probably comes out on top for me. If anything, I feel like KT loses to themselves, like in that instance, or when they played a very close series with Gen G this past week, which was important for both Gen G and them to win, um, just to kind of keep T1 at bay, uh, as it were. And also um, for Gen G's record, like the, them breaking the record. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The best game score, which they yeah, yeah, did yeah, yeah, yeah. by yeah, just so, one game. Yeah, they had already locked in first place, but I do think it was kind of relevant uh for genji and it was certainly relevant potentially for kt uh who could have surpassed damon key in the standings right yeah um, now damon will have uh like side selection for game one which is yeah. really important yeah so and they and anyway this is all to say kt decided to play nila in the third game of the series which I am pretty out on as a champion and not because i think nila is necessarily bad but because here are the problems when you play Neela. It forces you to play a very different kind of game. And you cannot win the lane. You are not <laughs> winning the lane. It is not going to happen. <laughs> right. Um, it, it forces you to play a very different kind of game. And when you play with a Silas, Wukong, Renekton, Neela composition with a Nami. And by the way, you're only playing Nami. Because you, you tried to away. steal it away from them playing Lucian Nami, right? So it's not like, okay, this is a Taric, which is a you know, a strong support with Neil. Not to say that Nami's bad, but like there are better choices, right? And you're playing all of these melee champs into Orn, Ari, and Lucian, and they have a Soraka just to heal the team, right? Like you don't have any kind of range advantage and you just get picked apart and you get counter-engaged on and you lose. And you need something like a Taric ult to allow you to survive long enough to close that gap and do teamfight effectively. And they really didn't have anything to make that work for them. Yeah, that game felt like KT were just like, well, we're going to have a for fun game. When they picked the Nami away, it felt like such a rookie mistake, like such a weird, like we've seen teams go like, oh man, we messed up. We let Lucian through. We have to pick Nami away. We've seen it happen like twice before this and it got completely bodied. Like it was awful like it didn't work at all it, it looked shit and it was in this game as well and the um like i was trying so hard in that uh cast to try to pretend like there was a way that this could go well like i was like i don't know like they're gonna hit six first maybe and like they, they got that yeah. extra experience and there's an all-in with neela's ult and, and nami ult and then they they did the all-in like the second they hit six but Peanut was there and they died. And then it was like, all right, the game is over, I think. Well, uh, you know, it's just that why I hate this pick is like, even if you can win with it, the problem with the Neela is that to be in the best possible scenario, your bot lane has to practice with it, which takes up practice time with normal champions. Your team has to practice with it very specifically. So it requires your team to play differently, and then it requires your support player to have experience with supports that are, in this meta, pretty much only good with Neela. And you commit all of this time to doing these things, 
and then it can be solved just by banning Neela. So where is this go? Like, what is the point of spending all of this effort practicing Neela if it's it's just a waste of time for a professional team? Like, your best case scenario is you pull it out, you win one game of a best of five, and then it gets banned, and then it's over. And then where where, where, where did all that practice time go? If you are Genji or T1 and you think it's very good and you have the extra time because you are already seeded into the semifinals and you want to keep it as a pocket pick and you're already like Genji or T1, a very dominant team, um, and losing some of that practice time doesn't matter as much. Right. I think maybe there's a world, one game in a best of five, like, but it doesn't seem like the kind of pick that's going to get the same value as the Karthus we saw from Canyon, for example, or, or maybe yeah, like yeah, the yeah. rare fiddlesticks we might see, um, you know, that... That sort of pick, I think, is really strong right now, whereas Neela feels like just so forced um, to try to play it in this meta. And I, uh, I, di- I didn't like that, but I don't want to read too much into that series because it was a Nami pick away, or too much into that game in the series because it was a Nami pick away, and it was, I don't know, just, it seemed like KT were also laughing and kind of giggling. Like, that was the the <laughs> angle for where you see the players, and you're like, oh, okay, the players are having a for-fun game here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... I think the reason why I go 3-0 is I think that Cuz has... Cuz is someone that, like, somehow, for just across this entire year, no one has, like, even said his name once. Like, I feel like I'm the first person who's ever said Cuz's name, like, right here, right now. No one has even discussed him at all because he was so middling and, and or, or weak um, for so long. He was never what this team was about. He was never, like, a key part of this roster. Because aiming was just playing weak side eighty carry. It wasn't he wasn't getting ahead because Cuz was having some sick ganks and feeding him kills or anything like that. It was a tank versus tank top meta, and Cuz was uh, you know just farming the jungle and looking for engages later on in the fights. But Cuz has changed as a player a lot. He's being a lot more aggressive. He's playing around top side. He's playing around Rascal extremely well. His pathing has been very good. And I look at Cannon and I'm like, you're you're kind of behind Cuz right now. And I never thought I would say those words, but I think it's true at this moment in time, Canyon's current form versus Cuz's passing, Cuz's ability to read the meta and play around his winning lanes extremely well, play around Pryo really well, makes me feel like that's why I don't think Dom and Kia will get an angle. Because yeah, they have Showmaker, they have Nugri, they have Duck Dom and Kellen, maybe Bible, but probably not. They have yeah, a really strong you, roster. Speaking, speaking of which, what, do you know why Bible wasn't playing? I do not know. I asked and I wasn't given an answer. Uh, I do not know why he wasn't playing, um, but... The assumption when I ask people uh, on the Korean side is, looks like it was just Kellen had COVID and he didn't want to play because he was sick. Whereas in the past, most people were leaning towards, as we were, the Bible was being played as a shot caller and they were going to try to develop this roster for playoffs and the world's uh, qualifier and then potentially have him at worlds to change the the, uh, shot calling of the team. And that was kind of like a theory everybody agreed on. They were all like, yeah, I think so. I think so. High five. Yeah. But then it just apparently didn't actually pan out that way so nobody knows or i mean i know damwon knows but they haven't told anyone i haven't been able to talk to damwon about it but i've i've asked the korean you know analysts and i've i've asked you know people at riot if they did they give any reason because sometimes riot will interview the teams before matches and they'll get like some insight into stuff like this there wasn't any uh they didn't give I, any I, answers about that i'm just surprised because the comms seemed a lot different with bible in there being a very active shot caller. And yeah, he kind of fell on his face in their first match, but then they almost beat Gen G in his second match ever on the professional stage. So I was expecting them to at least continue to try and use him. 
Uh, but I guess they are just going to regress. And like, frankly, when they hit T1, their shot calling looked a lot worse than when they played Gen G. Yeah, I think so. And shot calling looks worse. Doc Tom is a veteran. Showmaker and Nuggery are insane veterans, right? They have so much experience. But I don't think it'll matter because they're not currently in dominant form. And it's so it's so sad, actually, especially in this meta, to me, that Showmaker, his whole his whole thing, like his whole career, his whole <laughs> shtick was, I got mid-prio, I'm winning it, that's what I'm doing. I They picked Lucian for me again. I'm pushing the lane in, I'm roaming, I'm getting value somewhere else. I'm snowballing my bot lane, I'm keeping Ghost alive down there, I'm going to make a play. And uh, especially before Teleport was nerfed, he was everywhere. <laughs> the guy was like, I got lanes pushing, I'm teleporting top, I'm teleporting bot, I'm going anywhere, I'm ready to fight. Um... In this meta where Pryo has become important again, he's losing lane. Like, he's not winning. He's not actually... I think he will lose to Vikla. I just think that will happen. I think that's what I would predict. And I, I think I'm going to be right. Um, and Nugri as well, the same type of player. Like, abusing Klepto, insane laning power. Had the highest forward percentage for a lot of this season. And I think he probably still is, like, top three in that. But because he's because he is so forward, he is getting ganked a lot. He's dying a lot. He's trying to make impactful plays but isn't given the champions to do so. Like his Sejuani with Ignite is, it, it was really cool the first few times where he was finding success. And now it's kind of like, is that all you can do up there? Um, and he hasn't looked as good on the other champions. He hasn't looked good on Ornn. Um, and then I look at Rascal and I'm like, this is an interesting matchup for sure in terms of the player names here in Nugri's history, but I have to give the edge to Rascal. I have to give the edge to Cuz. I have to give the edge to Vikla. Okay, there's an AD carry on the bottom side called Duckdom who's been pretty good on Aphelios. Oh, but it's it's aiming on the other side too. Like, <laughs> it just doesn't look good for Damwon across the board. Yeah, look, I think that if if I'm Damwon, they they still are the wild card, right? They still have all of these potential flex picks. They could at any time be extremely dangerous. KT is going to have, you know, some less experienced players. The upside, I think, with Rascal is that while Rascal was always has been recently dominant, especially in a one v one capacity. If you look at like last split, the Ra Rascal's problem was that he wasn't really a team player. And what's different now is that Rascal is actually changing lanes, you know, swapping bot putting on map pressure, playing with his team a lot better. He looks like his macro sense has grown significantly. And I think to me, that is, he, he now he still has certain games, like when they lost to Lift Sandbox, where he just randomly walks away and is, does his own rascal thing, even if it's an objectively terrible idea, and that can lose you games. But he, it's rarer that that happens now. And so you're getting a lot of that lane dominance and a lot of that solo kill potential with a player that seems to have a better idea of where his teammates are on the map and is willing to play successfully around that pressure without dying, which previously I would say was a problem. Yeah, I would agree. I think um, the shot calling for KT is really interesting because watching it in the glimpses we get in the open mics and stuff like that, it seems like Cuz is quite important to their team in terms of the communication, which was really surprising to me um, because in the past he's been just unfortunately kind of milling or below middling, like I was saying earlier. And um, it seems like he's really just thinking about the game in a smarter way. And um, 
Acorn is in the coaching staff for KT Rolster and uh and someone you've cast of course in the past oh, yeah. and um in the in the until the very recent history it's been Hirai who was a StarCraft coach and has coached a ton of teams to to great success he was a Longju coach as well he was incredible miracles coach in StarCraft and then in uh their short run in League of Legends that's kind of how he got started I think he's an incredible coach um but he, like Coma, has kind of now been designated to head coach, which means he's making like bigger, grander decisions. He's essentially like um, running the team in terms of the big macro sense, but he's not actually going. He's not actually standing behind the players in draft anymore. And I think since that change was made, because I think you know Hira is he's getting older, he's you know getting paid more, he's he's moving up in KT like significantly. I think it was more important for Acorn and Supreme to take a, a bigger role in terms of the coaching. And ever since Hirai stepped off the stage, it feels like KT have gone up and up. And I'm not trying to say Hirai was the problem. I actually have the utmost respect for this guy. But I think having an ex-pro being the coach for KT has changed how they communicate, changed how they draft. And they've looked a lot stronger as a result. I can't tell you guys what Acorn says on stage. I don't know what's happening behind the scenes. So this is just my theory. Like, I don't have any proof of this. But it's just a trend I, I noticed, and um, they do look more coordinated, like you say. Rascal's making the right macro decisions, whereas Domwon on the other side, without Canyon being dominant, it really does feel like Domwon was so much more reliant on Canyon than they were on Khan, and then they were on Ghost, you know, obviously on the bottom side of the map, than they were on Barrel. When Canyon has not looked good in terms of his passing and his just overall mechanics, although he did have one of the most incredible plays uh, of all time <laughs> just a few days ago, Beyond that, like that was very Domin looked lost. <laughs> Domin looked lost without him, though, and I I don't know what happens to this roster. I don't know if they stay together. Um, maybe they make an incredible worlds run because, as you say, they have got a lot of pocket picks potentially to show. This has been Canyon's whole thing this season. We've talked about it many times on this show. I think he's hiding stuff. Like he has a huge jungle pool. He wasn't playing just Viego Wukong all the time at the beginning of the well, season. He was playing Kiana. It's it's also confusing to me because. Dom Juan, Dom Juan Kia didn't actually pull out the Talia last week at all, where Talia has been a pretty consistent ban against Showmaker uh, throughout this split. We, it, it hasn't been there. And like that, what's so dangerous about this pick is that we know what Dom Juan, they can flex it as well. So like, it's a particularly dangerous pick to let Dom Juan have. And it wasn't banned. They didn't pick it. Um, I, I, it makes me wonder if Dom Juan is really playing their style that they're actually good at. Yeah. That's what it makes me wonder. Yeah, I think there is definitely some... I think we are definitely going to see some really exciting drafts from them in this series. And maybe that's what throws KT off. Maybe that's the angle. Uh, maybe that's how Dom Juan wins one game at least, uh, potentially, in this series. I can't predict that, but I think it would be very cool and very fun. And I think you're, you might be onto something here. We saw the Karthus pick, which worked out extremely well. Um, I think we could see like a Fiddlesticks potentially because Fiddlesticks is pretty strong right now, although he's not very good at controlling the early game because he's very squishy and you can just actually get totally gapped in the jungle because of that. If you end up getting killed with a roam from the mid lane, you fall behind, then you just lose your whole jungle, you lose the game. Um, I think we could see Renekton in Italy out of them once or twice in this best of five. Like I could see Canyon pull at one of his best champions historically play uh, Renekton for Nuggery on the top side. Like, I think that's not out of the question. 
but you can only get away with that kind of drafting like once in a best of five. So I mean, the thing is, they have so much versatility, though, that they only have to do it once. Right. And even though the last time they met a couple weeks ago was a 2-0 for KT, both of those games were like 45 minute long games. That's why it's hard for me to think that KT is going to 3-0. Like, it's difficult to believe that Don Juan is not going to take at least one game in this series. I think this is a five game series. Yeah, I, the other casters kind of agree with you as well that uh, they think it's going to be much closer. I think maybe I have too much faith in KT right now, but <laughs> no, it's uh, it's just a scenario, Wolf. Like, it, this is a t this is a time where that that veteran nature of Dom Juan Kia can really show, and it's always really difficult when you have a team that has this level of experience and composure in a best of five, not thinking that they can actually like pick it up against especially a player like Vikla who's so important to KT that is a rookie right the since I have joined the LCK as a as a color commentator um the playoffs have been kind of terrible like they have been pretty one-sided we did have that amazing Dom one uh series with Gen G yep. last season yep that's like that's it that's the one Yep. And otherwise, it has been. I mean, well, I can clear. tell you from casting many Korean playoffs that they are rarely close. Uh, yeah. You know, it was we had so many three zero finals while I was casting. It, you know, we, it was a treat to get a five game final, and it was rare. Yeah, and so from my experience, I I think people people often predict like three two is a, a way someone will do a prediction where they're like, I think it will be close, but I like very rarely will ever predict a 3-2 because it is so rare, or a 4-3 in a best-of-seven series regardless of eSport, because it is just so insanely rare. It is like a safer prediction to say 3-0, I think, than to say 3-2. People often do 3-2 as the safe prediction because, like, I think it'll be close. I'm like, but that, if you're really thinking that score's <laughs> not, you better have a good reason. No, I, I think do have, have a good reason, reason in this case. No, I do have, have a good reason, reason in this here. case, though. <laughs> and, that, and that's kind of like the what I'm getting at here, the, the longer I'm talking about this, is like, you actually have a good reason. Like, I could, I can see that scenario. But I, I personally won't predict it, but I, I could see it. And I think this season, most of our LCK uh, playoffs have been like, it looks like the quarterfinals is going to be close, but then like the, the teams that win will just get shrekt in the semis. And we already know the top two teams are going to the finals. We already know this. This time though, like we've talked a lot about the quarters. I want to talk about the semis now because... Uh, before we do the semis, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with the semifinals. As you just heard, Wolf and I both think that KT is likely to pull off their victory over Dom Juan Kia in the LCK playoffs. And guess what? Here on Esports Bet, we've got some very good odds for that. I am hoping KT isn't the razor cake for once. They've got 2.406 odds. We're going to go ahead and put $1,000 in USDT onto KT and hopefully get that big return. All right. We're back, and now we're going to talk. <laughs> Good call. And now we're going to talk about <laughs> the semifinals. It was an excellent time to get the break where we get the prediction in there, right? So, uh, so. that said, Genji still is the overwhelming favorite to win the LCK. I think it would be very shocking if any team that wasn't Genji won. They have, despite losing the one best of three series T1. They have actually gotten the highest map differential now in LCK history, even with that match loss. They lost five games over the course of this entire 
season. Three of them were to T1. No, two of them were to T1. Excuse two me. Two one to T1, one to Dom one. Uh, yes. Yeah. And uh, um, two to Dom one, two to T1. Two to Dom one. That's right. That's right. I don't even remember. Dom I'm like, was the last time them? they lost? Damwon was the, Damwon has always played them close. Like they nearly lost the entire match to Damwon. Like let's be very clear. Like that was very scary yep. for Genji. Um, it, the matchup versus Damwon does seem to mess with them for whatever reason. And then they lost one game to KT. Came back. Last game wasn't particularly close. So, uh, yeah, two games to T1, two games to Damwon, one game to KT. That is it. So they've only lost games to three different teams. So it does seem, especially if you are Gen G, and if we follow our predictions of Live Sandbox and KT winning, Gen G probably will pick Live Sandbox. I think KT is the more dangerous team. I agree. And regardless, um, I think if Dom Kia wins, Gen G still picks Live Sandbox because that matchup hasn't been great for them. So this is where this is where things get interesting for me because like I was saying before the break, like this is the one time where the two semifinal teams are not just walkover wins to the finals to where you feel like, okay, yeah, the quarters were really interesting in terms of their own series, but like who cares because they're going to lose the semis. The semis are going to suck. I think the semis are going to be great this time. I also think Genji will pick Live Sandbox, and the main reason why is there there are two players they will face in one matchup their names are rascal or dove and doran <laughs> is as strong as he has been towards the latter part of the season and as pretty good as he is on strong side champions like the atrox and renekton um atrox a little bit less consistently the matchup that he faces versus rascal could be a huge weak link for genji whereas Actually, the matchup against Dove makes Doran more of a strong link for Genji, and actually makes that matchup not an right. issue. It just removes the weakness. And, and, and for me, like and Ruler and Chovy are just much better versions of Prince and and Closer. So, like, why yeah, would you even be worried about those matchups? Yeah, so and Peanut's the better why, version of Croco. <laughs> I that is why I think there is just no world in which Genji picks KT in terms of the top lane alone, but in terms of mid as well. Like Vikla is a much bigger threat than Closer, in my opinion in the solo lanes. And like, I, I think it's about as basic as that. Like if you're, if you're thinking like live sandbox is going to beat Gen G, um, or like have so, like, if, if you're worried, more worried about live sandbox, I think you're like creating some weird mystical, like, <clears throat> excuse me, some mystical, um, cat head cannon for like live sandbox is just like luckier than Gen G or something, or Croco will just like randomly win. It's got, you got to be careful about this team. I think, Literally on paper, you look at the lane matchup, you look at how this 12-14 meta is being played with Pryo, and I think KT is a way scarier opponent for Genji. Um, just just straight up. Like, I think we are getting a Telecom more semi for T1. Um, now, I guess we will say, like, if we're talking about who Genji is going to pick, one team they will also absolutely not pick is if Dom Kia upsets KT. I I don't think Genji will pick them because their <laughs> no. form will probably be top tier if they beat KT yes. <laughs> and Damwon has always played Genji close as you were talking yes. about earlier. So I do not think there is any world they pick Damwon Kia either. Genji, uh, if Damwon upsets. Genji does very well when they are dictating the pace of an early game and they have a strong sense of what the like they're very good at reading teams that are playing a standard meta. When shit gets weird, like it inevitably does with Damwon Kia, sometimes Genji feels like it feels like they don't really know what to do. 
as I mean, they still won. Like they figure it out eventually, but it, it is a lot more challenging for them overall. And there are very few teams in the world that have the kind of surprises that can pop out of Dom Juan Kia. Um, so I think that that in and of itself makes them significantly more dangerous. And to talk about the the KT versus T1, you know, we have to rewind time to like talk about this entire year because this has been a very close matchup every single time it has been played this year even in the undefeated spring season from t1 they almost lost to kt when kt was way worse than they are now and indeed as we've talked about previously on this show it was that match that basically t1 like assimilated them like the borg and then became like the good version of t1 that had figured out these long range pick compositions. Here's the Vex. Here's the Ari. You know, we're going to play, uh, you know, very aggressively into the sideline and, and get a kill from a million miles away. And that became the T1 style that then propelled them into MSI. Yeah. Um, but that was KT and T1 almost losing to them that caused that situation. And then both of the matches that were played this split were 2 1 wins for T1 in what was some really, really close games. Yeah, that was the like that series was when uh, aiming was playing AP Kaisa and like T1 had that yep. insanely close team fight where Guma just barely actually popped off and carried um, and they barely won. And then T1 barely won in the first round Robin against KT. Same with the second telecom war this season. Both of the series were played close in summer and like. If you like in in my mind, like part of the reason why I started to feel like okay, KT looks like a very strong team was how they played against T1, and I I set T1 as kind of like a bar as okay, Telecom War usually gets close games out of KT this season, but this time it actually looks like it's for the right reasons, and KT is playing very well. Um, whereas in the spring it was kind of like okay, KT drafted well here, and but they're not a strong team. Now it feels like okay, this is a really strong team, and I think we should respect how they played against T1. T1 versus KT, I think, is not what T1 wants either. Um, I think T1 would rather face off against Live Sandbox because, obviously, as you and, and you and I think Live Sandbox... I mean, they did just team. get pounded by Live Sandbox, so maybe not, but... <laughs> so, that's the argument everyone always brings up when I say this. Is like, but, but they it just was beat a meaningless zero. game. Yeah, it was. It was a meaningless game, and also I think T1 learned a lot from that series and will probably not play Swain again if they do face off against Live Sandbox. Um... So I, I think that as as a you know watcher of T1, as a caster of T1 this season, I think they will be afraid of facing KT Rolster because of the history this year. Um and that does something to your to your mental as a competitor. Like I am not a pro gamer. I was never really a pro gamer. I was like a you know semi-pro in StarCraft 2, but not really. Um but I competed a lot. I've I fenced, I've played a lot of Smash Bros. tournaments growing up. Like I I have this moment where I see a player who's crushed me in the past, or I have history with this player, I have history with a Spencer I fenced against, and it like gets into my head a little bit. Like that's something that happens to you as a competitor, just in general. And I think it happens to these players too. Like I think, yes, you did just get two zeroed by Live Sandbox. However, KT have played you close all year, like even in yeah. your best form. And I think that that could get into your head a little bit as T1 preparing for a series like that. Not to mention the fact that. In terms of solo laning right now, Baker versus Vikla, it's you know it feels like a matchup. Whereas we talk about Chovy versus Vikla, like that one feels more realistic. But Baker versus Vikla feels like, in terms of laning, Baker is not dominant right now. 
I worry about that. Um, I worry about Zayas' current form versus Rascal, who's having his best form in a meta that he can play strong side in. Uh, so in that regard, as T1, I'd also be happier playing against Dove. I'd also be happier playing against Closer. Um, the arguments we can have about Prince, I think, are definitely a, really scary in terms of potentially facing Sandbox because Guma and Karia have been struggling in lane, and Karia and Guma have not been getting those prio picks bottom side. So that is one way where you could say, oh, Live Sandbox could be scarier for T1. But I think I'm very happy to predict, unless we see something crazy in those quarters where, you know, maybe one of these two teams looks way better than the other in, in terms of that best of five. I feel like, I feel very confident that we will see Genji versus Sandbox in that top final, and it will be a Telecom War on the, on the second semi. Do you think that, are you bold enough to say that KT is actually going to win this if they make it that far? Because, like, I, I think... If KT can take out both the veterans on Dom Juan Kia and the veterans on T1 with a rookie, that would be extraordinary. Like, I just don't see both of those things happening. I, right now, I have a feeling like I could, I could, I cannot predict it right now, but I, I could see it happening. Like, I absolutely can envision it. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility, but I don't feel confident predicting that KT will beat T1 today. But after watching their series against Dom Juan Kia, I think we will have, you know, when, okay. we go into, when we go into that semis, like if they look really good against Dom Juan Kia, if the 3-0 I think is going to happen actually does happen and it happens in a very clean manner and KT don't look exposed in terms of their drafting, they don't look predictable. At that point, I think it's a reasonable prediction. Like I, at that point, like I think I would say yes. <clears throat> the problem is with predictions like this, is that um, we just don't know what's going on with T1. We don't know what their current form is. So that's why I don't feel confident to say, yeah, like T1 looked pretty bad recently. KT looked really good. Like, so if they win, they'll win again. Like, it's hard for me to do that. It's, it's also true that the we don't have, it was only this last week that LCK was on 12-14. So, you know, with another few days to scrim on this patch and after having played professionally on it now, teams could adapt very differently to the way the patch is working out. Yeah. I, I, we know that T1 based on their points um, from winning spring season and they're already seeded in semifinals are going to worlds. Like this is, this is known. So um, like in terms of what I want to happen, which we, we don't talk about very often, we usually just talk about what we think is going to happen, but what I want to happen is I would love to see a five-game series between KT and T1 where KT wins and goes to the finals against Genji. We don't actually see that predictable walkover in semis that happens basically every time in the LCK. And, uh, and then KT does very well in the Worlds Gauntlet with the points they pick up and go to Worlds, and we get to see... A new generation of League of Legends fans experience KT Rolster for the first time at Worlds. Um, because everybody already knows T1. It's literally the most famous team in the world in esports. It's so famous that non-esports people know it. Um, KT Rolster is such a storied history in Korean esports, even in StarCraft. And people don't know about them. And I think it would be really fun for the new League of Legends fans who ha didn't watch in KT's heyday back in the old times when you were an LCK caster. Um... To, to experience KT for the first time, and, uh, and hopefully they won't disappoint. They won't be disappointed. Maybe they won't get excited. Um, but 
I I think that would be a really fun storyline. Um, I think the same thing of Live Sandbox, of course, and we've talked about it on the show a lot over the past few weeks, like the evolution of DRX. We, first, we're like, ooh, looks pretty good, and now we're not <laughs> feeling good about that. I'd rather I'd rather them go than DRX, uh, I, which I said before, but now especially with DRX's right. current form. Yeah, I, I, look, I, I don't. I think DRX is is pretty done. Like unless they can put together some kind of crazy miracle run, which you know, Deft is a great Sivir player. This this may be his time. That's a possibility. But it just seems like they their development has effectively ceased, and they just don't have the same number of weapons. Especially because Gen G or T one are overwhelmingly likely to automatically qualify after the summer playoffs are ending. Like if Genji wins, then they automatically qualify. T1 will then have the most points, basically. So they should automatically qualify. And then if you have to have that last two spots, I think it's just going to be a... There's no way that DRX can overcome two out of the three of Dom Juan Kia, KT, and Live Sandbox without a dramatic improvement in their form. Yeah. There's still a chance Kwangdong goes to uh, the world's qualifier um, if KT is defeated by Damwon. Uh, and it's a small chance, I would say, but it is possible. Um, that would be very disappointing. Yeah. I don't think it's going to happen, though. But that's why, uh, you know, spring season points do matter, and KT did not go to playoffs. It's their first playoffs um, since franchising has started, so been a long time since this team has been dominant, since their super team, where they won with score. Uh, has this team been pretty mediocre, honestly, and uh, was at threat of relegation even at times, actually. Uh, and big comeback. So I, I'm looking forward to seeing how they're going to perform here. As In terms of like predictions for the whole bracket, I think it would be unrealistic to expect anything but a Genji victory. I think it's... It's finally time. Chovy is going to lift a trophy. Lehenz is going to lift a trophy. Doran's going to get a trophy. And, uh, and you know, it's actually going to happen. Peanut will lift another one. Yeah. Um, yeah. He doesn't have but, that uh, many, though. He doesn't, you know, compared to how long he's been around and the quality, the caliber of teams that he's played on, he's, he's missed more than he's won. Still crazy that Ruler is a world champion but does not have an LCK. Title. Yeah, it is crazy. All right, it, so, was, it was one of those. It was one of those things where we had the meme of like it's harder to win the LCK than it is to win worlds. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually true for many years. That was legitimately true for many years. That it was hard to harder to win LCK. So I, the jokes were always that Worlds was the the Champions Korea autumn season, right? Uh, except easier. Except easier. Um, let's talk about MVPs then, because this. I think there's not that many choices and basically they're all on Gen G. Like maybe if you wanted to spin it, Zayas was very good at the start of this season, but finished a little bit middling, I would say. Meanwhile, Gen G feels like, what do you value here? Do you value the fact that Chovy is still the god of mid lane in terms of his laning phase? and has leveled up his game to play better with his teammates, do you value that this has been an 80-carry-centric meta and Ruler has completely shit on kids the entire season, getting, you know, impressive highlights Zeri play after highlights Zeri play, dominating everybody it would seem like? Or do you value this resurgence of Peanut, him being incredibly innovative in, a, in the sense of defining a jungle pick like poppy around the world having extremely creative pathing and being the brains and the shot caller of this genji roster these are all strong candidates yeah i think all of them are viable um i think chovy is viable 
and uh, I will tell you guys what I voted for. Um, I voted for Ruler, in because uh, we do 1 to 5. I'll tell you guys my top 3. They are all Gen G players. They are Ruler, Chovy, and Peanut. And... I think there was an argument maybe to be made for Prince. Um, I agree. To I think be in the conversation. I think the reason is because Liv Sandbox finished third, and that even though Prince, he's still very good. You're you're glad to see that Closer has stepped up a little bit, so that Prince didn't have to carry the burden of this Liv Sandbox roster. But without Prince on this roster, this team would be bad. Like straight up, like they would not, they would be, and they were in spring without, yeah, him. <laughs> yeah, they, they would be maybe sixth, like optimistically you would have to say. Um, so he has significantly elevated this team. He is a star level player and has shown his worth to this roster. So if your definition of MVP is like, this team would be fucked without this player, Prince is your guy. Yeah, in terms of most valuable additions, like <laughs> I used to think about MVP that way, which is why I voted for Gory last year, who literally changed Nongshim from being a terrible team into being a playoff contender. And um, no one else voted for Gory basically during that time, and I felt I felt like I was the odd man out. But I think I my pick was justified. Now I think I think about MVP as. Who has had the most iconic and strong plays consistently throughout the year and has just been a strong, consistent top player in their position? Um, so much so that you you could never even have a conversation about who was the best AD carry for me. So that's why I voted for Ruler. And this is in a meta where we have players like Prince and Aiming popping off um, yeah. and being incredibly big for their team. And yet still, like, they're not even close to Ruler. Like, I can't even... I can't even be like, ah, oh, is Ruler the best AD carry is aiming? Like, you can make an argument for aiming. No, you cannot. You cannot make an argument for aiming. You cannot make an argument for Prince. In terms of what they were for their teams, yeah. When Ruler, was was he as important for his team? No, because he's on a stronger team that has three other players that are incredible, one other player that's serviceable. Um, and when I think about Ruler this season, I one pick stands out. I think most people think about Zeri. I don't. I actually think about Lucian. And he was one of the only players to make late game Lucian look like a real threat where he's looking for gale force angles, he's threatening people, he's ulting tanks and setting up for Peanut to then engage on them. We can blow up the front line and just make Lucian look like a long-range AD carry when he is absolutely not. Um, and he's winning lane with Lucian, he's getting that prial. Then he's in games where he doesn't actually get that attention, where he just has a middling Lucian in lane. He then looks extremely strong in the later parts of the game. Um, and this meta was so defined by bot prial. And... He didn't play that much Callista. Like, that's the one pick where I'm like, we didn't see that much of it. But when we did, uh, it was a bad time for the for the enemy team. I think Peanut's um, pathing and his, you know, popularization of Poppy and how he revolutionized the, the pick is definitely a strong um, argument to be made as well. And Trovi just improved as a player so immensely this season on the strong team. I think more than last season, I think Trovi really made huge strides in terms yeah. of both laning well. Like, he's always been a good laner, but he's pushing his advantages and then spreading that money around the map more than he ever has before. And he is also, in my mind, far and above the best jungle player. For Peanut, there is a counterpart and owner, right? We can actually have that conversation. But for Trovi, there is no, there is no one who's even close, in my mind. Yeah. I mean, I think that's fair that he has been undoubtedly the best mid lane player. I think 
What is very interesting about Ruler's candidacy, though, is that he is just so insanely efficient as a player right now. And if you guys want to get a sense of that, uh, we talked about Genji a little bit on the last show about how good they are at basically absorbing all of the the creeps on the map, like every single minion, every single jungle camp. They, are, they just get more gold. You have to keep that in mind when I talk about Ruler right now. But Ruler is actually one of the lowest economy ADCs in the league. He only gets 29.5% of his team CS past 15 minutes. Now, keep in mind that Genji is, in fact, getting all of the CS. So it's still a lot of money in terms of the sum total, right? If we're not just... The percentage is low, but the sum total is high, right? Um, and the only one who gets less than him is Deft. However... His damage percent after 15 minutes is second only to aiming. So he's getting the second least amount of CS after 15, but he's doing the second most damage after that same period of time. Keep in mind that on a just purely objective level, he has the fourth highest CS per minute of any ADC, which is a testament to really Genji's lane assignments and their ability to just squeeze every last drop of gold out of the map. But that is still insanely impressive that he is what is effectively, by most metrics, a low economy AD carry that is doing the second most damage behind aiming, even above Prince, who, by the way, Prince gets 36%. He gets 7% more of the CS after 15 minutes, and he does less damage by percentage of his we know. We know that Genji is, we talked about this last week about, like, we wish there was a stat for, like, how many minions have spawned and uh, how much were, were taken by them. But we also know that Chovy has some of the highest CS numbers the world has ever seen. Yeah. Um, and so he is, of course, sharing some of that money with Chovy, but Doran is also picking up quite a significant yes. amount of, of money on the map. So, like you said, it's about how they're setting up their 1-3-1s. Uh, they're not really playing 4-1 as much when they have a lead, which is kind of the LCK special, the 4-1, where you're like, yeah, we'll just kind of siege as 4, and then our side laning, top laner, or mid laner will be on the edge there and making sure we're getting value somewhere else. But there's usually a lost lane worth of money during that time because it's just easier to 4-man to grab a turret. But Genji are also getting the turrets while having someone else in that side lane and playing 1-3-1 instead. And it is often Ruler who is in 3 um, making those picks happen, threatening people on, on the Lucian pick on the Zeri, whereas hitting, uh, you know, big extendo beams, that's what we like to call it colloquially in the LCK, the W. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And uh, it's... It would be, I think, dishonest almost if Ruler doesn't get it, in my in my mind. Yeah, like, I think Ruler is, is probably the best candidate. And he is very likely to win his first season. It just, it all comes together. Like, it just feels like the narrative is set. We just have to watch it <laughs> the, unfold. The the stars are aligning, and that's why that's why it would be surprising, um, especially because this this last iteration of T one versus Gen G was rather stompy. I mean, I don't think, I think there is a world where Dom Juan Kia comes to life like Frankenstein's monster of all their bits and pieces of weird champions stitched together into one final ferocious form. They're lying in the chair. The lightning finally hits the tower and animates the Frankenstein monster of Damwon Kia and they go smash. And then maybe Damwon Kia can do something. I think that is 
probably the best single best hope for a competitive final. Uh, I want to ask you if you if Genji does pick Live Sandbox, which we expect, what scoreline do you think Genji wins that series with? Three one, probably one. Yeah, I think three one is is the safe bet on that. I I think that Genji. There, there will be some game where like Ruler and Croco, or I mean, uh, Croco and Prince pop off, right? Like there's there is some game where that happens and it just spirals out of control. It is also so far on twelve fourteen a very snowbally meta, uh, especially for the team that has the priority picks, like the Renekton, like playing strong side top, and the team that has the bottom side control. Mid is is like the more ambiguous one, obviously, but um, I could see a world where one game goes very wrong for Genji in the early parts, and then it's just too snowbally; they cannot recover uh, with their draft. I could see that happening. But I, I feel very confident about that one right now. Um, obviously, earlier we talked about the T1 KT. I do not feel confident to to predict that one right now uh, for KT or for T1. We just don't know the form of T1 at the moment. But Genji, we we can definitely trust. Like at the end of the season for Genji, it was looking the same as it did all season long. Very good, very consistent. Um, whereas for T1, it was looking very not consistent at the end. Uh, so it leaves us kind of questioning where they are at the moment. Uh, I will save Wolf. Uh, our complaints about the format of the LCK playoffs for next week because we had a lot to get through this week. And because we're only going to have the finals to talk about next week, we'll recap obviously everything that's happened. Uh, we'll have a much better sense of who's going to be in the regional qualifiers at that point in time as well. But it's, it's pretty much just going to be the finals. So we can talk about why this system is by far the worst playoff structure out of any major region. It is depressing that it is so short. It is depressing that the quarters and semifinals are played in the same week. That seems like a little bit crazy. If you want quarterfinals teams to be able to prepare for their semifinal opponents, create good matches, it's crazy that if that's going to happen, okay, put them both in the same week, but add that little double limb bracket there so that they have a little bit of time to recover. There isn't any reason that this has to be two weeks. I, we, I, we're well, going you to, said you were going to save it for next no, 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 episode. No, no, no. You're getting we're, into it now. We're, no, we're going to, you know, and, and like, yes, I know the regional qualifier kind of is the double elimination bracket when it comes to going to worlds. Like it does sort of function that way. Um, but most of these other regional playoffs last like, Till mid September, like or like I, two more weeks after after these are over. I will tease that I have a different opinion about double elimination for the LCK, but we'll, okay. we'll get into that. Well, that's we'll, all right. We'll you, you, can, you can you can tempt you can tempt us with that, and uh, we'll see you guys next week.